Good morning, church family. Good morning. Pray you are doing well and want to thank you all for joining us this morning for worship. It's always an honor to bring God's word to you all. And if you haven't guessed yet, we will be in the book of Philippians today, finishing off a little section there in chapter 3. So if you can, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me. That is page 981. If you need a Bible, there is one in the seats in front of you. That is our gift to you if you do not have a Bible at home. The last time we were in the book of Philippians was a couple of weeks ago, and we were looking at chapter 3, and we looked specifically at verses 1 through 6. And today we're going to finish that section by looking at verse 7 through 11. What we've seen as we've made these little ins and outs, as we come back to the book of Philippians every so often, we've come to see that this overarching theme, if you will, focus for Paul as he writes this book is to encourage the church in Philippi to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We see that in chapter 1, verse 27. Then he continues that in chapter 2 where he calls them to do live this way by focusing on the humility of Christ. And we see that specifically in verses 5 through 8 in chapter chapter 2. And then Paul Continues and he calls them to obey the word of God so that you live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He calls them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling so that you are living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he calls them to hold fast to the word of God. And then we enter into chapter three. And chapter three, the verse, first couple of six verses there, the focus is Paul's trying to show the church in Philippi what a false Christian looks like. And gives them this warning. One way that you want to can spot something that's fake or false, you don't study the fake thing, but you study the authentic thing. As people who are trained to spot counterfeit bills, you don't study the fake, you study the authentic one. So much so that when you see the fake one, you're able to identify it quicker because you know what the real thing looks like. And so Paul does that essentially at the beginning of chapter 3. He gives us this picture of what authentic, of what true Christianity looks like. He says, if you are a true Christian, you are marked by your joy. right? True Christians practice this sermon. They worship by the Spirit of God, and they boast in Christ, in Christ alone. And if someone isn't doing that, then maybe they're not a true Christian. This is how we can see, identify these true Christians, and Paul then continues. So as a true Christian turns away from their past, he does this by showing how all these things that Paul at one point had confidence in, verses 5 and 6, these are things that Paul was able to take pride in. But ultimately, none of this had nothing to do with Christ. So Paul says that we, the, I don't need that anymore. He goes into verse 7, and we've probably heard this verse if you've been in church long enough, where he says, and I counted, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever that pride I had, whatever my race or whatever my, my rank within society got me, it doesn't matter no more. I count that all as loss because I have gained Christ. And that leads us today as we finish this section. The main idea or thesis statement for today is simple. Knowing Christ changes everything about our life. It changes the things we value and it changes the way we live our life. Knowing Christ changes everything about our life. It changes the things we value and he changes the way we live our life. 
We're going to focus on verses 7 through 11. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that depends through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity today to gather with our brothers and sisters in the Lord, Lord, to sing songs of praise to you, to spend time praying, to spend time looking into our own lives, Lord, and confessing anything we have, Father. The fact that we're able to do this as a body here today in this building is a true blessing from you, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray for our time together as a church body, Lord. We pray that you use the next several moments to chisel away these errors in our lives that may be holding us back. Give us discernment and strength and wisdom to evaluate our lives, Lord. And if there's anything that we're holding on to, Lord, may we be willing through the Spirit to give that up to you, Father. Bless this time together, Lord. We ask that you bless the children in Children's Church, Father, as they are doing their study, Lord. We pray that they are able to remember the truths that they learned today, Lord. We pray that seeds are being planted or being watered today in there, Father. Be with them. Eliminate any distractions this morning, Lord. Be with us as we open up your word, as we hear it proclaimed, Lord. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you and edifying to your people, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. As people said, amen. Point number one, knowing Christ changes the things we value. And we see this in verses 7 through 8. And as Paul writes this, where he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Paul, at the forefront of his mind is those things that he wrote back in in verse 5 and 6, and that these things were at one point important to Paul. You can even make an argument that his identity was rooted in these accomplishments. His identity was rooted in the fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day. His identity was rooted in the fact that he was a Hebrews of Hebrews. But Paul says, whatever I had gained in that... Whatever confidence those things gave me, it does not matter anymore. I count them as lost. They are deficits. Whatever positive things they brought me, now they are lost for the sake of Christ. He says not only those things, but indeed, even more than that, I count everything that this world has to offer as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
this idea when he says, I count everything as lost. This is in the present tense, which means that this is a continuing action from Paul. Paul says, I've counted those things that lost at the point of my conversion. I'm counting them as lost right now, and I will continue to count them as lost as long as I live. That, that doesn't stop for us. The things of the past that we used to value, we have to continuously be looking at them as something that there's nothing to gain from them. In other words, everything that we do or everything we will do or are going to do in our own power that we think give us any favor with God, Paul says, count those things as loss when it comes to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. In other words, the most important thing, the most valuable thing that we as Christians can have is this idea that we know Christ. Paul says it's the most worthy thing we have. It surpasses anything that you think you have. Think of the most valuable thing you have in your life. Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's something that's been passed down and has sentimental value. Paul's saying knowing Christ is more valuable than that. That there is no price that we can put on knowing Christ. He says, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord recognizing there those three titles, those three offices of Christ, if you will, that he is the Messiah, the prophet, Jesus, that he is our Savior, he is a hard priest, and that the Lord is the sovereign king. He's acknowledging all of that. Paul says that there is worth in knowing Christ Jesus. And this knowing that Paul is talking about here, it goes beyond simply knowing some things about Christ Jesus. It goes beyond simply saying, I know how many disciples Jesus had. It goes beyond knowing, oh, I know what miracles that Jesus has. This doesn't just talk about facts. Paul here, when he says, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, he's saying that I know him personally, that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is far worthy than anything else this world has to offer. This idea of knowing here. In the Old Testament, the type of knowing is intimate knowledge. It was often used to refer to God's intimate love bond with his chosen people. And that's the idea that Paul's trying to paint here, that we get to know Christ. We get to have an intimate knowledge. This is not superficial. This is a deep knowing. And this knowing Christ leads to then a deep love of the Savior. That's what Paul's trying to get at here. So much so that he counts everything as lost. Looking at the second half of verse 8. For the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Everything that I once had or anything that I could gain now from this world, I count as rubbish. Or waste, dung, excrement. Paul's using strong language here just to kind of get the point across that anything that this world may be able to offer you is garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He's trying to get their attention. Some would argue that Paul is here using crass language when he says that I counted as rubbish because he's trying to get the point across that nothing in this world has to offer is more worthy than what Christ has given to us. That is not nothing here better than knowing him personally. 
Which is why Paul then can say, no matter what I had to gain, I counted as loss. No, what, no matter what I can gain, I counted as loss. Because he understands that this is Christ above everything else. Not some things, not the things that we're willing to give, but it's Christ above everything in our life. Knowing Christ changes the things we value. It changes the way we live our life. Point number two, knowing Christ means we are justified, verse 9, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's here is talking to the fact that we have been fully justified in Christ Jesus, that we have been declared righteous by a just and holy God. Paul says, I don't count on my own righteousness, right? Paul, back in verse 6, says, I was blameless under the law. There was nothing according to your Jewish standards that you can bring as fault before me. Paul, understanding that, says that even though that was the case, even though I can stand here today and say that I was blameless under the law, that that was nothing compared to the sinless, perfect life that Christ lived. And so despite all of that, despite Paul saying, I can be blameless, he knew he needed to depend on someone else's righteousness, and that someone else is Christ. Paul needed the righteousness of Christ that comes from God through faith alone in Christ. And if Paul needed that, then imagine how much more we need that. We can't stand before anyone that says, well, I am blameless according to the world's standards. Paul was able to do that, and Paul still says, I need the righteousness of Christ. And so do we. Understand that by this act of faith in Christ Jesus, what happens is that we are now declared by God as righteousness. This is something that God does. It's not dependent on us. It doesn't matter the way we live our life. It doesn't matter the things we do. It is a declaration of God and God alone. And there's nothing we can do to add. There's nothing we can do to take from it. It is declared by the holy, perfect, and righteous God. And this is why he sent his son in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, being Jesus, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him. Not us. We haven't done anything. He declares us righteous. And there's two things to see from here. That first, the righteousness that we receive is a gift from God. It says it right there towards the end of verse 9. The righteousness from God. In other words, there's nothing you did, there's nothing you can do that can earn this righteousness. It's from God and it's received, the second thing, by faith. He says that twice in verse 9. Through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, it's not anything we do. We understand that the faith that we have is a gift from God. Right, We see that in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not a faith of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works that no one may boast. So you may feel like you have great faith. You may feel like you have strong faith. But even the Bible says that faith was a gift 
from God. You can't even declare that. You can't even claim that as your own because it is a gift from God. And God is just doing all of this so that we can just humbly serve before him. Point number three, moving on. Knowing Christ leads to sanctification. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death. You may be reading this and you may be like, this is kind of backwards. Isn't death first and then resurrection? But the knowing the power of his resurrection that Paul is talking about here, as Jeffrey Wilson puts it, it is not the power by which Christ was raised from the dead, but the power which the resurrected Christ exerts over his people in raising them from the dead of their sins into the newness of life in Christ. In other words, this resurrecting power that Paul is saying here, it's the power that joins us with Christ. It's the power that brings us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And Paul says, I want to know that more. Right? He writes, that I may know him. And you may be thinking, well, Paul already says in verse 8 that he knows him. Why is he saying, I want to know him again? Well, Paul here is simply saying, I want to know him more. I knew Christ at the point of my conversion, but I can still know more. I want to know him deeper. We continue. There's still more to learn. There's still more to grow. It's like those of us who are in a marriage. We met our spouse, wherever you did, high school, college, and you got to know them. Right? And as you got to know them, you grew closer, which then led to you hopefully being engaged. And as you're engaged, you're continuing to know them. And then from there, you get married, and hopefully you haven't stopped knowing your spouse, but that you continue to know them. You continue to grow closer and deeper to one another. That's the picture that Paul is painting here, that when I may know him. He's saying that I may grow deeper in my love, deeper in my appreciation of Christ, that I may know him more. As I mentioned earlier, this is the intimate personal knowledge that Paul is talking about, that he still, despite his many years of living in Christ, despite planting churches, despite going through all that he goes through, he still can say, I want to know Christ more. And if Paul makes that declaration, how much more should we, as followers of Christ, make that declaration, whether we've known Christ for one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, doesn't matter. We need to be growing in our love for Christ says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The Greek word there for power is dunamis, which is sometimes translated miracle. So what Paul is saying here is that I want to know, I want to be given the power to overcome the resistance, overcome the opposition, that I may know him in his power of resurrection so that I can overcome the enemy of this world. Paul says the only way we can do that as believers to overcome this world and all that it throws our way is to grow in our knowing Christ more. And if we're not doing that, then we are going to fall short constantly. We are going to continue to struggle because we're not growing in our knowledge of the Lord. This is talking about the sanctifying power that we received 
once our eyes were open to the beauty of the gospel and that we will continue to receive as we walk this road. Paul had already received this power all the way on the road to Damascus and he's saying, I want to know it more. It just doesn't end there at our point of a conversion. Paul says, I want to grow more and more and more like Christ. That's the picture there, that he is being conformed to the image of son. That's the purpose that we have, Romans 8, 29. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, But the, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The only way we can become more and more and more like Christ is if we are going more and more deeply in our knowledge with him. Those go hand in hand. They aren't separate. This power that Paul is talking about, it's going to help us endure through sufferings and hardships. We see that all the way back in Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 to 12, that, that we can grow in this power, and it's through this power that we then can overcome the difficulties of this world. He says that I may share his sufferings. Paul, all throughout Philippians, rejoices in sufferings. Back in chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That it has been granted to you, it's been given to you, this opportunity to suffer for his sake. Paul welcomes Hardships. Paul welcomes sufferings because he understands that his Lord will use our sufferings to mold us, that the Lord will use difficult times to build us into his image. And we don't like to hear that. We don't like that reality. We rather have a life where we're not suffering, but understand that the Lord uses that to shape us into the image of his son. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we can overcome the difficulties in life as we're growing in our sanctification because of what Christ has done. And so when hard times come we rejoice because we know the Lord is going to use that to build us up into his son's image number four knowing Christ leads to our glorification verse 11 that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead Paul is not expressing doubt here when he says by any means possible or some translations may have it, if somehow. You might read that and think he's not, seems not sure. We have to understand that Paul has always been humbled. Paul always saw himself as someone unworthy. And he's saying, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know somehow the Lord is going to work it out that I will attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was a humble man. Paul always called himself the least of the apostles, 1 Corinthians 5.19, or, or the least of the saints in Ephesians 3.9. Paul simply is saying, I don't know how. I don't need to know how. I'm not worthy of knowing how, but I understand that I will, through the grace of God, attain the resurrection from the dead. 
that he will be glorified. Paul saying that I can sit here today, I can write these things to say that we rejoice in sufferings, say that we must persevere because there is something greater coming. We will receive resurrected bodies and we will spend the rest of eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that gives us comfort. That no matter what happens, no matter how difficult this life may get, there's something greater coming. That our citizenship isn't here, as Paul writes later on in, verse, in Philippians verse 20 and 21, Paul writes, that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul looks at that and that gives him hope. That gives him strength to say, I will rejoice when things are difficult. I will declare God is great no matter how miserable my life is because I know there's something else coming. My hope is when what the Lord is going to bring, that there is an imperishable inheritance that is being kept in heaven for us. First Peter 1.4, and Paul says that gives us hope that we will receive our glorified bodies and we cling to that truth. Trusting, knowing that Christ will come again. And so when life is hard, when things aren't going our way, we look to that. Not to ourselves, not to our neighbors, not to anyone else. We look to what Christ, what the Lord has promised us in his word. And we cling to that. As we close this morning, to the unbeliever, I have one thing to say to you. Only righteous people go to heaven. And you may be saying, you know what, that that works perfect for me. Phew. I'm glad. I'm a good person, so I'm good to go. The problem with that statement is that the Bible is pretty clear that no one is righteous. Romans 3, verses 9 through 18, that no one is good. That every human being, every man, every woman, every baby has falling short of the glory of God, that we have all sinned against the God of this universe, and that there's not one person who's ever walked this earth that can say, I have followed all of God's commands perfectly. We are all guilty. We are all in debt to God. And so, yes, only righteous people go to heaven, but that means that we can't do that on our own. Therefore, we need someone else's righteousness, someone else to clear the debt for us. And that someone else is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came into this world. He lived a sinless, perfect life, which we cannot do. Never got angry at our neighbors for hanging things up never got angry at kids for not listening, never looked at someone lustfully. He lived this world perfectly. And then being truly innocent, being the son of God, took the punishment that is rightfully yours. The whipping, the thorns on the head, the hanging on the cross, that is what you deserve 
for your sins. But Christ took that on himself and then died on that cross. And in doing so, satisfies the wrath of God against those who fall under that. So those who put their trust in the works of Christ, the fact that he rose from the grave, he conquered sin, defeated death. If you put your trust in the works of Jesus Christ, you will have peace with God today. You will, he will look at you and declare you righteous, declare you justified. But it's not because of what you did, but it's because we are falling under the righteousness of Christ. So anyone who puts their trust in that today will have peace with God. And if you haven't had the opportunity or you want to talk more about what that ex- exactly looks like, Pastor Wes and myself, any of the elders who were up here earlier, we would love to have that conversation with you about what it means to put your trust in the works of Christ. Or maybe you have more questions. We would love to sit down with you and talk about you. Maybe you're like, you know what, I remember doing that back when I was younger, but I've kind of strayed away. I I need some help here. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like and bring you back and have some restoration, but don't let another day go by where you're not having those conversations. To my brothers and sisters sitting here today, back in verse 10, I mentioned that knowing Christ means that we are sanctified, we will live in sanctification, and that Paul' emphasis there was wanting to know Christ more, wanting to know him more deeply and more intimately, and that by knowing Christ more and the power of his resurrection more, we will become more and more like Christ. That's the point of sanctification, that we are being sanctified. We, as we live this life out, are becoming more and more and more like Christ. The problem is, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us don't have that desire to know Christ more. We're willing to do things for Christ. right? We're willing to say, I'm not going to listen to secular music anymore. We're willing to say, I'm not going to watch those types of movies. I'm not going to use certain type of language. But do I really need to grow closer with him? Or can I just come to church and be good? If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us maybe don't have that desire to know Christ more deeply, to know him more intimately. Maybe you feel like, you know what? I've learned everything I need to know. I got five Bible verses remembered in my heart. I'm good to go. I know everything that I need to know. As Christians, we should never get in that mindset. We should never feel like we've reached the mountaintop. There's always something that we can grow in, that we can learn more in. Ephesians 3 says that the riches of Christ are unsearchable, that he cannot be fully comprehended. So if you think, oh, you know, I know everything about God, that is contrary to what the scripture says, because he cannot be fully comprehended. All this means that we should never grow stagnant as we continue to walk in this faith, that we should never grow bored with studying our Bibles, that we should never grow bored with praying or coming to church. And so if you're, if you're there, if you're honest with yourself, if you evaluate your life, you may be like, you know what, I, I've, I kind of feel like that's where I'm at. 
I'm not praying as much or, or I'm not really have this desire to grow deeply with Christ. Well, first pray about that. You need to be praying. You need to have other brothers and sisters praying for you. If you feel like you've hit this wall in your faith, you need people praying for you. And a lot of times what happens is we hit this wall is because we like to confide God into a box, right? We like to give God just a small portion of our day and think we're good to go from there, right? God, I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my Bible reading. I'm going to study my Bible. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do all of that in 30 minutes, and then I'm done. I fit God into my nice little 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes at night, but then the rest of the day, he is not at the forefront of your mind. You're not thinking on the things of God. You're not meditating on his word. You feel like, you know what? I got him in. I'm good to go. That is not Growing more and more like Christ. That is not wanting or desiring to know Christ more. So if you want to grow in your knowledge of God more, if you want to grow in your intimate personal relationship with more, then we must be praying for that in our lives, first of all. And then we must take some steps. Maybe you want to work on your prayer life. And I'm going to tell you, maybe you need to just set a reminder on your phone every three hours. It goes off and it vibrates. Or it goes off and you're at work and you're reminded, I need to sit there and pray. Maybe you only have 30 seconds. Maybe you got more time. You're like, I'm going to spend the next five minutes praying to God right now. But we have to be intentional in making God part of our whole day, not just the 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes in the afternoon. Right? Maybe that means you change your screensaver from your favorite sports team. Or maybe you change it from pictures of your spouse or kids and you put a memory verse there. And that every time you look at your phone and you see it, you're reminded of that verse and you start to think, how can I be applying this more in my life? Because we do look at our phones a lot throughout the course of the day. So maybe it's putting a Bible verse there. Maybe you're trying to say, you know what, I want to be more intentional on knowing what it means that God is just. I want to know more about what it means that God is, he's infinite in everything. And so you're going to take an attribute of God and over the next year, you want to grow in your knowledge of what it means that God has done this. And so you pick out a book, you read it, right? Or there's different sermons and lectures on these different attributes of God. There's free courses online. If you go to YouTube or iTunes University, you can download free courses. The point is, is that you're being more intentional about growing in Christlikeness. So oftentimes I've heard people come to me in my 20 plus years in ministry and says, Ricardo, I'm not growing. I don't, I don't know what's wrong. I can't, I can't seem to get over this hump in my life. I want to know God more, but it's not happening. And usually one of the first questions I ask them is, how is your devotional life? When was the last time you opened up your Bible? And almost instantly, they're always like, well, I don't have time. Work is getting hard. The family is very difficult right now. Listen, if you're not opening up your Bibles, you will not grow in Christlikeness. There's no secret to it. It's not like we can add a course here or you can take courses, anything that's going to grow in Christlikeness. In order for us to grow in Christlikeness, the first thing we must be doing is opening up our Bibles. 
and reading it and studying it. Maybe you're like, I don't know how to study. We've tried. We can help. We can give you different resources that teaches you how to study the Bible. But if you're not opening up your Bible, then you're not growing in sanctification. We don't get to just pick and choose. We think we do. We want to say, you know what? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to join life group. I might even serve on a couple days here. But if I do all that, I don't need my Bible. Pastor will tell me what the Bible says. And that's not what we get to do. We don't get to pick and choose. It's all encompassing. It's all important. Us reading our Bibles on our own, us coming to church, sitting under the preaching of God's word, praying with saints, worshiping with saints, living life with saints. That is all encompassing in our life. And that is how we as Christians grow more and more and more in Christ likeness. We have to be willing to put in the work. If not, we will not grow in, in Christ-likeness. Maybe you're struggling. The last thing is you need to lean on, you need to rest on the truths of God, that he is sovereign, that he is good, even though it doesn't feel like he's good. But if the Bible says he's good, then he must be good. And I just can't comprehend how in the midst of this situation, God is good. But I'm going to trust and rest that that's what the scriptures say about my God. Sometimes we just got to rest and be comfortable in not having all of the answers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love in our lives, Father. We thank you that we have a God who loves us so much that he's given us everything that we need. That he has declared us righteous. That by goring in his knowledge of his son, we can become more and more like his son. That we can defeat sin and death because of what Christ has done on our behalf, Father. We thank you. We have a a God who loves us intimately and deeply, Father. Lord, as we go about the rest of this day, as we work this life out, this faith out this week, Father, we pray. Pray, give us the wisdom and discernment to know you more intimately, to know you deeply, Father. May you be at the forefront of our mind and hearts this week, Father. If there's people in our lives who can hold us accountable to that, Lord, may you present them to us, Father. May we as a church body love one another so deeply that we want to make sure that we're all growing in Christ Jesus, Lord. And if we're not, we're holding each other accountable to that, Lord. But give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us the discernment to live this life according to your scripture, Father. Be with us the rest of this day, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. As people said, amen.